Look at our sermon scripture today. It's 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that the many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. The word of the Lord. Looking at this letter of Paul's to the Corinthians and to us, Lord, please teach us more of who we are and who you are and how we're to relate both to each other and to you. Your word is trustworthy. May we be trustworthy in handling it. And by your spirit, use this word to open our hearts May we respond with a confident meekness and do your will in our hearts. Father, be with Pastor Andrew as he addresses us and deals with your word. Keep him and lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. A little situation in the first service. I looked down at my clock here to see how much time I had left, and it said it was 9.16. Then I realized that was the date. <laughs> it was really like 9.30, and uh, so I, I fixed that. We should be better now. So we come to this passage today. We're continuing on in this study of Second Corinthians, and it's a, uh, as we've said, we're, we're looking at it, you know, Paul is talking about strength and weakness, you know, there are issues of the super apostles and the Corinthian church sort of gravitating towards those who showed up with the gifts for those, towards those who showed up uh, with the charisma. Uh, but Paul is saying, you know, weakness is, is a major part uh, of the Christian life. And as we're going to see today, it is a, uh, a central part of Christian maturity. But that doesn't mean it's easy. And, you know, the, the title of the sermon is Despair. And it, it comes from the, the, the text here. Uh, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. One of the saddest stories that I had encountered recently was the story of Andrew Stokeline. Uh, he's a pastor in California, or he was. Uh, wife Kayla five or three young children, 
You know, by all accounts, God was blessing their work there. Uh, people were coming to the Lord. Uh, Andrew was being used in encouragement and different ways in, in people's life. But he was also wrestling with despair, with anxiety, depression. Three weeks ago, he took his own life in the church the day before he was to go in to preach. His wife, Kayla, uh, wrote these words on a, on a blog following his death to my Andrew. It's been only three days. Nothing can take away the suffocating pain I feel now that you are gone. I miss every part of you. I see you everywhere. I replay the events of that fateful day over and over again in my mind, wishing that I could have done things differently, wishing I could have held your hand one more time and prayed over you and told you how much I love you, how much I believe in you, and how God has got this too. You were right all along. I truly didn't understand the depths of your depression and anxiety. I didn't understand how real and how relentless the spiritual attacks were, the, the pain, the fear, and the turmoil that you must have been dealing with every single day is unimaginable. Andrew, I want to tell you from the depths of my heart and from the depths of my pain that I am so sorry. I'm sorry you were so scared. I'm sorry you felt so alone. I'm sorry you felt misunderstood. I'm sorry you felt betrayed and deeply hurt by the words and actions of others. I'm sorry that you were fighting a dark spiritual war seemingly alone. I'm so sorry you were unable to get the help and the support that you needed. The depths of despair are, are very real. And they don't differentiate between, you know, the light and the dark, people who are walking with Jesus and, and people who are not walking with Jesus. They don't somehow find the bad guys and leave the good guys alone. Uh, it is a very real reality in our world. We'll get to that a little bit more in a minute. Furthermore, the despair touches us all. Andrew felt it in a particular way. It led him to despair of life itself, uh, similar to Paul's words there in verse 8. Kayla and her boys now experience that this way. The pain I'm experiencing now in the aftermath is heavy. This is a different blog post a few days later. It feels as if I'm walking through mud, carrying around massive weights on my feet. I have to keep moving, but each step is excruciating. One foot in front of the other, one breath, one minute, one day at a time. At least that's what they tell me. I feel numb all over, and I'm so afraid for my future. I could have predicted what the next 20 years would look like with you, and now I don't even know what the next two weeks will hold. The depths of despair affect not only those who are caught in that web, but they 
affect those who are around them. And as such, this text, as Paul is writing it, is an invitation to all of us to come and to, to grapple with what he is saying to us, what he is saying to the church through this message. In some ways, as we go through this, I envision, you know, that giant snowfall and, and mom or dad has the length and the legs to be able to walk through it where the young child, you know, just goes from footstep to footstep, not able to make their way through, but they can follow in the footsteps of those that have gone before. So we want to follow in those footsteps uh, through this. So three things for you here. They all start with D. Make it easy for me. Uh, Despair, deliverance, and dependency. Let's walk through it as Paul is saying here. Despair is, I mean, you get the sense from this uh, passage, you know, it's more than just being a Lions fan, right? Um, it, it's, it's deep. Uh, the affliction that we experience in Asia, he doesn't describe that. Uh, some people have connected this to Acts chapter 19 and the riot in Ephesus, which was the most recent place that he had been. But, you know, there have been other riots and there, you know, he doesn't look like he was in bodily harm actually in, in Ephesus. So, you know, maybe it was that. We, we know later on, you know, in the book, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul gives the, the big list of things that he has gone through. He, he talks about countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received from the hands of Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times beaten with rods. Uh, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I mean, we, we know about, you know, one shipwreck is recorded to us, but three times. One night uh, he, he spent uh, a day and a night adrift at sea. Frequent journeys and dangers from rivers and Dangers from robbers, from his own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, food, cold, exposure. And apart from the other things, he says, on top of that, as if that weren't enough, I have the pressure of the anxiety that I have for all of the churches. So when Paul says, you know, I was burdened, and, and he uses a couple of qualifiers there. Uh, he doesn't just talk about affliction. Uh, he says, I was utterly burdened beyond strength. Uh, the, the language speaks to uh, a ship that is overladen with goods and, and, and can barely get above waterline. Does anybody ever feel like that? You know, just laid down overly burdened. This is a very real thing for Paul, and, and it's a very real thing in our world. You know, whether we are students or whether we are mature adults, uh, whether we are kids, whether we are elderly folks, it doesn't matter where we are on the age spectrum. It has no distinction in terms of race or class. Uh, those who are inner city poor uh, they know the anxieties and the stress that lead to despair. Those that are in rural situations know this. One person highlighted to me that uh, American farmers are among the highest suicide rate per capita in the country. I did not know that. 
but there is stress, anxiety everywhere. It comes from our circumstances. Uh, the things that go on around us give us stress and anxiety. Uh, it comes from our biology, uh, the chemistry of our bodies, you know, some of the brokenness of the fall. Uh, don't process things correctly, and, and we, we bear, we have a predilection towards anxiety, we have a predilection towards depression. These things press in on us. Some of it certainly is, you know, due to unbelief. You know, we, we're, we're not walking as close to the Savior as we've been invited to walk. You know, we're not believing the truths, and, and, and so part of it is, is saying, going back, and just like we sang, you know, arise my soul. You know, we've got to speak to us like the psalmist did, and, and, and all of those things contribute to it. And I think it's important to remember that, you know, when we see the reality of despair, depression, anxiety, these things that mark those inside the church, outside the church, we don't want to just immediately identify it as sin. You know, we don't want to immediately say, well, you're just not a good enough Christian. Uh, th that's not the picture that, that we're given here at all. I mean, Paul is using words like despair and anxiety to describe him. You know, he, he was following hard after Jesus. He was putting his life uh, on the line in, in multiple ways, and yet these things were pressing in on him in a very real way. And in some ways, this is the second thing as we think about despair, so not only is it real, uh, but in some ways, as we, you know, to the extent that we live missionally, to the extent that we follow Christ, we should expect that affliction, despair, anxiety, those types of things will be crouching at our door even more. Uh, there is the reality that when we, when we determine to follow Jesus, I mean, what's the language Jesus uses? Pick up your cross and follow me. You know, there is that sense in which following Jesus, living missionally, uh, brings the attacks of the enemy uh, even more into the purview of our life. Think about this just as, as we live out. You know, you certainly see this with a guy like Andrew Stokeline. Um, the, the battles, the intensity uh, of his calling to be the pastor of that church and, and, and how, you know, the, the, the pressure came and, 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 and crushed in. I mean, I think many of you are, are familiar enough to know that that is true. Very interesting, you know, talked about this in, in different times. Um, and, and I've had people come up to me and with the best intention say, well, I'm glad you don't feel any of that. And you're like, oh, really? <laughs> you know, I, there's, you know, we, we feel that way. And it's, and it's not simply the vocation of pastor, you know, but all of our vocations, when we're, when we're trying to bring it into, 
you know, we're trying to live it under the gospel and, and move in that way. It doesn't matter if you're a computer programmer, stay-at-home mom, uh, stay-at-home dad, whatever your vocation is, uh, and you're living it before Christ, you're going to have the pressure of the world that is trying to squeeze you into its mold, you know, as you resist that and you live your life in, uh, under the uh, under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So despair is a reality for all of us. Uh, despair, uh, discouragement, all of these different things, the struggles, the afflictions that Paul is, is talking about. Some of us feel it more acutely than others. We go through periods where we feel it more acutely than at other times. But we should not be surprised uh, when this comes upon us. I, you know, I wonder if the surprise is, is not due to, you know, both explicit and implicit sort of teachings that if we follow Jesus, you know, all your troubles will go away. You know, if you just follow Jesus, you'll be happy, happy, happy all the day. Uh, these types of things sort of leak into our belief of what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, but they're not the reality, right? The reality is, when we follow Jesus, what did Jesus say to his disciples? In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And that's the second part, deliverance. Uh, two aspects to deliverance that I want to highlight for you here. The first is this, deliverance is something that Paul knows. It's realized. Uh, so deliverance is realized. You see that in verse 10. He mentions the word deliverance three times. He delivered us from such deadly peril. Uh, whatever that was in Asia, it doesn't get more clear. And he will deliver us. Uh, he has delivered us in the past. He will deliver us in the future. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. There's a sort of a perfect future aspect to this. Uh, so three times Paul says God has delivered us and we can count on his deliverance in the future. Now, we recognize this, you know, we've said before, we remember in the dark the things that we knew or we saw experienced in the light. In the midst of our despair, as uh, the world is crushing in on us, wanting to squeeze us into its mold, we remember the truth that God delivers, that he has delivered us in the past. You remember that time when you had no idea how you were going to get out of that feeling. You know, that loneliness that was crushing in on you, that, that feeling of inconsolable loss that you felt when you lost that person. And you thought your world would never be okay again. Anybody relate to that? But God delivers us. Somehow we look back on that now. We can't even say the moment. We can't even say the time. But we know that there is a peace that passes understanding. We, we know that there is a hope that has sprung up in us even if we cannot explain it or we can't identify the moment that it happened. God has delivered us. Some of you know that very clearly, whether it was a car accident or a, uh, a loss of a job or a life situation, a divorce, something like that that has come in 
and, and you knew that God delivered you beyond the shadow of a doubt. That's why it's so important that we give testimony to one another about that deliverance. And, and we speak of the deliverance of God in the past. Now, there is a reality that... Um, there is a reality that God doesn't always deliver us in exactly the way that we hope that he does or in exactly the time frame that we hope that he does. Uh, and and not, it's not even always recognized as deliverance. Uh, you know, we, we oftentimes struggle with that. You know, Lord, I've prayed for you for so long. That you would deliver me from this loneliness by bringing me a spouse. Well, God may deliver you from the loneliness, but it might not be through bringing you a spouse. Uh, he, he, and, and you may give testimony to that at some point in your life. We have to be sensitive to that. But what we also have to be sensitive to, and this is sort of the second thing that you know, kind of builds on that, uh, Paul realizes the truth of God's deliverance, but he seizes upon the way that God delivers. And we see that at the end of verse 9, where he says, this was given to us, you know, these afflictions were, uh, were given to us in order that we would rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Now, the first part of that verse we'll come back to in just a minute, but it's the second part of that verse or the second part of that clause that teaches us a little bit about the way that God delivers us. He, he delivers us by raising the dead. I've been thinking about this a lot this week. Uh, this verb tense here is a timeless future. Uh, for those of you who love your, your Greek, uh, I'm not even positive what that means. But how I interpreted it to mean is this. I mean, this is something that can be continually counted on. You know, it's not just something in the past. It's not just something that we look to in the future. But this is something that can be continually counted on. Why? Because what Paul is talking about here is he's not talking about... A, merely a hope that he is looking towards. He is talking about an actual characteristic of who God is. This is a character trait of God that he raises the dead. And what Paul is saying here and what he is seizing upon as he is thinking about deliverance is that God delivers us not necessarily from the affliction and the despair that we are going through at the particular time. But he delivers us through the affliction and the despair and he reinterprets it. He gives it a new meaning. Let's think about that for just a minute. When we think about, you know, God who raises the dead, what do you think of? You think of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. And I was convicted in my own life. You know, I think I'm a little more cross-focused than resurrection-focused. And, and that's probably to my detriment. 
But Paul, as he's thinking about despair, he, he goes to the resurrection and he says, this is the reality that reinterprets all of our suffering, all of our affliction. Jesus was not delivered from the cross. He even prayed that, you remember, in the garden. He says, Father, if, if it's if it is your will, deliver me from this. I don't want to drink this cup, but not my will, but your will be done. And, and, and he was not delivered from the cross. But what the resurrection says is that he was delivered through the cross. And, and this really gets us to the heart of the gospel. Because the anti-gospel says power, strength, abilities, charisma, all of these things. Your victory is in your victory. Your victory is in your strength, your power, your charisma. But when Paul starts to say, we, we seize upon a God who raises from the dead, what he is saying is, we seize upon a God who is willing to work through weakness. We seize upon a God who is willing to work through affliction, who will reinterpret our affliction in the moment. And, and so we struggle with anxiety. We struggle with loneliness. We struggle with despair. And God comes to us and he says, I am the God who raises the dead. You feel absolutely dead right now. But this is exactly where you will see my power at work in your life. My strength, Paul will say later on in 2 Corinthians, is made perfect in your weakness. You see, this is just such an inside-out, upside-down way of, uh, of understanding the world. You know, the world sees affliction and says, get a pill. You know, get some ibuprofen, make that pain go away. You know, you don't have to deal with that. You don't want to do with it. And we sort of implicitly take the lesson, we've caught the idea that affliction is to be avoided at all cost. And, and it is to be run away from. But that's different, right? That, that's different than what the scriptures are pointing us to. Paul is pointing us to a God who raises the dead, who brings deliverance through affliction, not necessarily from affliction. And, and note, like this is the point, right? This is the point of what Paul's saying. You know, there is this dependence uh, that he is pointing to at the beginning of, of verse, uh, or at the beginning of that phrase that we've just been looking at it, but this you know, this feeling of the sentence of death was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. You know, what, what Paul is saying here is the invitation in everything that we do in life, the invitation as we walk through this affliction is to more and more find ourselves relying on God. Again, I think that this fights against an implicit narrative that we have in Christianity and everything. You know, in, in our world, we, we feel like as you grow into maturity, you become more and more independent, right? Uh, you become more and more of an individual, and there's a certain sense in which that's true. 
You know, we talk about that with our adult kids and, you know, becoming more and more independent, paying for this, paying for that, you know, those types of things. Um, But is that really true in the Christian life? That we become more and more independent? Paul is not, you know, he's saying just the opposite of that. He's like, these things are being given so that you would rely more and more on Jesus, that you would become more dependent on God. I gave you that quote at the very beginning, Moments for Reflection, uh, where Keller is talking about suffering uh, in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And he's saying, you know, there's a purpose to our suffering. uh, And if faced rightly, it will drive us like a nail deep into the love of God, into more stability and spiritual power than we can imagine. As we walk through affliction, we find out that it's not meaningless, that it's not random or chaotic or anything like that, but it is actually pointed to driving us deeper into the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would contend with you, that is maturity. The more, the greater degree that you are dependent upon God in every single aspect of your life, that is what bespeaks your maturity. It's not your ability to handle things. It's not your theological acumen. It's not your, uh, you know, your willpower and control and all of these things. It's not your righteous living. What speaks to your maturity is your dependence on the living God to rest on the God who saves us. So again, so different than moralism, right? Moralism says, do better, try harder, conquer this, master that. The gospel says, surrender, rest, find your righteousness in Christ. He is the one that has mastered this for us. I mean, we, we, again, we just look to him, you know, when we think about deliverance, it's God who raises the dead. He delivered him, not from the cross, but through the cross. It is the cross. It is Jesus' nail-scarred hands. It is his own weakness that speaks to his power. Uh, Edward Shillitoe, who was a uh, Free Church of Scotland preacher during the First World War, he, he speaks so beautifully of the weakness of Christ and his wounds and his scars that draw us. Listen to what he says. It's just a portion of a longer poem. He says, if we've never sought thee, we seek thee now. We must have thee, O Jesus of the scars. Our wounds are hurting. Where is the balm? Lord Jesus, by thy scars we claim thy grace. The other gods were strong, but you were weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to the throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a god has wounds except thou alone. As we are dependent upon Jesus and we take our wounds into his nail-scarred hands, that's the promise, right? That's where God says, I'm going to meet you there and I am going to give you beyond what you could ask 
or imagine because it is the path that I trod. These are the footprints that I laid in the snow for you to follow. And interestingly enough, there's, there's one other aspect of dependence. You know, we have this dependence upon God and Jesus who has led the way for us. But there's also this dependence on others, on the body that Christ has won for us. Did you see verse 11? He says uh, in verse 11, he says, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. Again, just remember, this Corinthian church is jacked up. You know, they have legal troubles, sexual troubles, ecclesial troubles. I mean, every amount of trouble that you can imagine. I mean, these are folks that are struggling to work out their faith on a day-to-day basis. But Paul, you know, as he lives out his dependence, it's not only dependent upon God, the Lord Jesus Christ, but it is also dependent upon other people. You must help us by your prayers. And it's one of the great gifts and it's one of the great responsibilities that God gives us as a Christian as we go through, uh, as we go through affliction is that we minister to one another. We help one another. We bring and we offer deliverance to one another as we come together. It's one of the reasons why we take vows to each other and membership, like you're going to see in just a moment, as Morgan comes up and takes membership vows in the church and the Norrises did earlier this morning at the 8 o'clock services. We belong to one another. And we commit to saying, yes, I am going to help you. And we dependently say, now this is so un-American, right? I think there's probably something why people don't join churches. Uh, Because we don't want to say, I need help. I need you. You must pray for me. You must. You must come alongside of me in my weakness. We just don't like to say those things because we don't like to admit that we have weaknesses. So we are dependent on God. We're dependent on one another. I don't know where you connect with all of this, but I trust that the Spirit will make it clear to you. I just want to close with some words from Kayla Stokeline again. She says this in a blog post uh, several days later as she's uh, after they've buried Andrew. And I mean, this is all very fresh, weeks old. She says, I love you so much, and I will miss you every single day for the rest of my life. When I think of you, I will smile, knowing that I will see you again one day. Thank you for the ten wonderful years together. Thank you for giving me the gift of three beautiful blue-eyed boys who all resemble you. Thank you for choosing me, for believing in me, for showing me how to live fearlessly. Until we meet again, you know, there's that hope, that God that raises the dead. Until we meet again, I will cling to my Father in heaven. There's that dependence, clinging, being wrapped around 
the only one who can give us strength, who can carry us through. And he, she says this, he will carry me through every second, every minute, every hour of every day. What a promise. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your promises which are precious to us in the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the reality of your meeting us in our despair. We were so burdened beyond what we could bear. We have no strength left. We are wrung out like a dish rag. But you meet us. You meet us with your character, who you are. You meet us with your promises, what you have said you will do. You meet us with past deliverances. You meet us through the body of Christ. You meet us through the very scars that you yourself bore. And we know that by your wounds we are healed. Lord, we pray that you would give us the courage to bring this into our own lives. But we also pray that you would give us the joy to save it, to share it with another. As we remember even from last week, you comfort us so that we might share that comfort with another. And we pray that we would be bold to point others to Jesus of the scars, the one who has loved us so well. In his name we pray, amen.